everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Super House Podcast. This is Andrew, your host as always, and this week I have a very special guest. His name is John C. Snyder from the American Free Thought Podcast. Thanks for coming on, John. Well, thanks for having me. I don't uh, get on other podcasts too often. I don't either, and what just happened was... Uh, the first part, this is actually the sequel to uh, the first part, which is on his podcast, American Free Thought. And that is a kind of, uh, well, can you describe American Free Thought really quick, uh, John? Yeah, uh, the, the really short answer is that American Free Thought is an atheist podcast. The, uh, the slightly longer answer is that it's, it's a podcast devoted to issues surrounding separation of church and state. Uh, the effect of religion on public policy, uh, the abuses of religion, uh, how religion affects our society in negative ways. Uh, I also try to promote, to the extent possible, the benefits of a reason-based lifestyle, secular government, secular decision-making, and and that sort of thing. So as you can imagine, it's a target-rich environment here in the United States. There's never a shortage of things to talk about, never. Yeah, that's for sure. And what's, I think what's different about yours is that, like, compared to uh, the atheist experience, which is more or less, they're going over um, philosophical points a lot of the time, uh, or, you know, more from directly religious or philosophical, yours is atheism with politics, yeah. More so than the other ones, which I really uh, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, so. I, I think a lot of the podcasts do. Um, some of them will take callers like the Atheist Experience takes callers and it's usually a religious person wanting to argue with them. And uh, <laughs> right. I mean, that's what they do. And uh, uh, yeah, American yeah. Free Thought. It's not that I would be a, against interviewing someone who was religious, but no one has ever asked to come on. Um, and, um, so we just have never done it. So I generally try to offer the, I figure the religious people have, uh, enough exposure on their own and, um, you know, atheists don't have too many open venues. So I try to do what I can to, to give a voice to that alternative viewpoint. Yeah, it was it was your podcast and uh, Atheist Experience that were the ones I listened to the most and most uh, instrumental. And, and and of course, like, well, we'll get into it in a minute. But the the Full Horsemen at the time, yeah, uh, you know, watching their videos and reading their books was uh, also a, a big deal. So anyway, so this episode it's uh, kind of another like type of audio blog uh, that I've done. That they the other ones were were solo, like the one like. Um, well, I did. I reviewed Avengers Endgame uh, solo, uh, but then I did one on uh, why Japan. Look up that episode, and that was uh, solo about me uh, talking about why why I like Japan and things like that. So this one is uh, I wanted to go over my uh, history with religion and deconversion, and I one I was just interested in uh, you, John, to. Uh, chime in whenever you want. You can interrupt me mid-sentence if you want. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, and um, we might have some similarities because uh, you're from the South originally, correct? Yeah, I uh, grew up in Kentucky. Um, I mean, just, just to give your uh, viewers a, uh, a grounding in where I'm coming from, I'm 56 years old, so I'm probably older than 
most of the parents of the people that listen to your podcast. But I grew up in Kentucky in the 60s and 70s, uh, Southern Baptist family, uh, went to college and moved straight out of college down here to Georgia. And I've basically lived my entire adult life, my career and so forth uh, in Georgia, most of it in in Metro Atlanta. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. And um, so let's just start from the from the beginning here. I, I wrote out prose for this. I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm yeah. really to prepare. I usually do bullets, but for this it was a little bit different. So really starting at the beginning here, um, how I got acquainted with Christianity to begin with was I remember being at a residence inn or some some uh, hotel like that, I think in Montgomery, Alabama, when I was around five or so, and my brother and I find a Bible, one of the, you know, the Gideon's book or whatever, uh, put there by the Gideon's or whatever. Yeah, the Gideon's. You know, yeah. Um, that Bible on the desk, and my brat, my brother asked what my dad, my, my brother asked my dad what it was, and my dad said it's the Bible, and then immediately my younger brother makes fun of the name. Uh-huh. I remember this fairly well. <laughs> He's, he, I think he started calling it Bible with a B and stuff like that. Again, we were like, maybe I was six and he was th- uh, four or something, but uh, and I think I might have joined in on making fun of it. And so, sadly, I guess you could say, uh, my first memory of Christianity is actually me and my brother making fun of it. Uh-huh. So your parents uh, didn't take you to church from from birth? Uh, no. I, as far as what I remember, um, my parents weren't that religious at first. I mean, they I think they were, they grew up that way, mm-hmm. especially my mom, but... Um, I, I remember like my really, really early year or years, <laughs> um, it kind of wasn't a factor just yet. Cause I remember when, I remember kind of when it was kicked into high gear or okay. high enough. Hmm. So yeah, kind of strange. So, um, yeah. And shortly after this incident, I think, uh, my family joins the nearby Methodist church and we started learning about the Bible and everything like that, as you would imagine. And, um, I didn't know this until recently I was looking, I was looking back on it and thinking about this timeline. And I wonder if this was the event that caused my parents to be like, I guess it's time to teach our kids about, <laughs> about Jesus, you know, cause uh-huh. we, we like <laughs> made fun of it like immediately. <laughs> right. So, well, that just shows you how ridiculous it is really. You know, <laughs> I mean, my wife uh, grew up, in a secular uh, household, her parents were completely not religious atheists. In fact, back in the '60s, living in the, a small town Georgia, um, but you know, I grew up uh, as I mentioned, Southern Baptist ex- uh, family. Uh, we had a church that was the church that my grandparents went to, and my great grandparents before them, etc. Going back to the you know early 1800s, so I never remembered a time when I wasn't going to church. So, so it was very organic to me learning about the facts of, you know, Jesus and the Bible and the old Testament and all that stuff. It, when I was very young, it just never occurred to me that it was in any way ridiculous or to be questioned. Yeah. I think that's how it is for most people. That's how it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they started taking you to church. Yeah. So uh, we grew up Methodist, and I don't think my parents grew up Methodist. They just, I think they just liked the overall. I maybe even you could say lukewarm vibe of Methodism. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what they wanted. And, and, um, looking back and again, this is the early nineties at this point, this, this, the Simpsons was pretty close to us, uh, as far as like how it represented what, like how the church was, it wasn't Catholic, but it was like, I remember like in those days, the, people wore robes and they were acolytes and it was like, there was like this whole thing. I don't think a lot of churches do that anymore. Lots happened in 20 years, mm-hmm. but, um, and also I think Marge was always dragging Homer and the kids to church. And that's kind of how it was for us. It was like, it was like, as the Simpsons, like watching us and getting ideas. It was really weird. They're very accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, when, and then when I first started going to church, I remember being really afraid of it. Because um, there's a lot of old people at church, and I think old people scare little kids. Yeah. They can scare little kids. Okay. Sometimes they're, like, heartwarming and cute, but, you know, I think a lot of times, especially when you're really young, like six, seven, it's, uh, I don't know, you're just not used to somebody quite that old, maybe. And then there's, and then another big thing is that there's so much talk of death at church. Yeah. So much talk of dying. And when you're like, especially a kid, and you don't have to be that young, but you know, especially at that time, it's just frightening to hear about this shit. All, if we can cuss on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can cuss stuff. on mine too, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You bleep it out though, right? Not anymore. Oh, you don't? Oh, no. okay. I didn't know you had a change in policy. All right, cool. You missed your chance. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So it was this talk of death all the time that really like, it really fucked me up. And I remember crying to my mom when I was like really young saying, is God going to kill me? <laughs> yeah. You know, cause also this being with all this power and he plays with human lives and stuff like that. It's just so c- crazy, mm-hmm. crazy frightening for a kid. And it's not just that he'll kill you. He'll kill you and he won't let you die. Then you have to be tortured for eternity if you don't toe the line. Exactly. And it's God, it was just kind of rough for me at that time. And, uh, and I remember my mom said something like, God doesn't just go around killing people. And I was like, <laughs> and that at the time it helped, it was actually helpful. Apparently your mother helped, didn't read the old Testament very much. I, I know. I know. Cause that it's was ironic. like his hobby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It does just go around killing people, but you know, at the time it did console me enough. So, uh, you know, I thought he was really out to get me <laughs> yeah. at the, at the time. Um, and I remember we made, they would show like these animated Jesus movies in church and stuff like that, especially for sun in Sunday school. And my brother and I would, would snicker at him because it would have two men that weren't gay saying that they love each other. And we thought that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, Jesus was Jesus wanted people to love him and he would talk, you know, turn to, I don't know, one of the disciples and be like, do you love me? And he's like, and the guy would be like, yes, I do or whatever. And that was just, <laughs> I don't know. I just remember <laughs> me and my brother laughing at that. We yeah. weren't really that religious <laughs> as, I mean, my brothers and I were just too young to take it any, any, well, anywhere near com- being serious. Let's face it. 13 guys hanging out together, camping out 
<clears throat> for yeah. days on end. There's nothing at all gay about that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there's a prostitute there apparently, but yeah, sitting around like in their robes. In and out. Yeah, so that's yeah, just a sign of the times, man. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, we would draw Mortal Kombat characters in church and play our Game Boys just like Bart Simpson did. Uh, you know, things like that. This looking back on all that, that was really '90s. Um, and my mom hated us. She hated when we drew, drew Mortal Kombat stuff. It's too bloody for church. Well, for her, uh-huh. you know, not religious bloody stuff. Um, so I was, of course, still trying to figure out the world in general. But even though we went to church every Sunday, I don't think I was internally all that religious at this time. I just didn't care. And church was just too boring. Um, and I think before I got to my teenage years, even at that time, kind of early on, even before puberty, I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly, I was already leaning towards accepting evolution mm-hmm. and maybe some combination of prime mover God and evolution, something like that. You know, I was young, so I didn't I didn't have it. I didn't have any of this really figured out. But I was I remember being sort of like, all right, I, uh, you know, uh, this idea about us coming having uh, the same ancestors as modern day apes and things like that. I was, uh, I wasn't immediately against it. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, like, like some people are. Um, so it's definitely throwing it around in my head. So then let's cut to 1998. I believe it was like September or something, if that matters. But anyway, we moved to Georgia where, uh, it's weird because religion, Christianity felt a little bit different, even though Georgia was a lot less country than where we came from. We came from this town called Eclectic, Alabama, one traffic light, uh, a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to this nearby church in this town called Tallahassee, and they had this fairly big, at least in my memory, it was this big Methodist church. And it was Methodism, so it was kind of lukewarm, pretty much, right? So, yeah. um, <laughs> We moved over here and then to, to Georgia, and we started going to this private Christian school where it was Pentecostal, and a lot of the churches in this area uh, around Griffin, Spalding County, it's, uh, Pentecostal churches are a very big thing. And we had essentially no idea what this was, and we had been going to church our whole lives, mm-hmm. our young lives, but still. So um, we had never heard of this whole, like, raise your hand and accept Jesus into your heart prayer thing. Methodists do not talk about that stuff. It's not a thing. I think, I don't know for sure, but it seems like in the Methodist church, if you're going to church regularly, especially you're saved, man, what's this extra step all about? Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) this it's, I just found it so strange and definitely like, I never even heard of people talking in tongues or snake handling any of that stuff, never heard of it at all. And we were going to some, you know, bumfuck town Methodist church in the middle of nowhere, pretty much Alabama. And then we're, we're near Atlanta all of a sudden. And, and it's like this crazy religion. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the school was run by these same people. Yeah. And the school was on the church property. Oh, okay. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's still around, I think, but it's, it's definitely like, it's got small numbers, I believe. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um, we did continue being Methodist on Sundays, but I was in this Pentecostal school every weekday. 
And I was well into my teenage years at this point. And I do believe at this time I said something to myself like, I think I'll give God a chance, something like that. Because this is like, we had moved from lukewarm Methodism to crazy (laughs) Pentecostal stuff. But I think since I was surrounded by it so much, and I guess, you know, you're sort of attracted to how passionate people are. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so this, like, even though they were crazy, there's a lot of passion behind it. And so... So they must be on to pre- something. Must be on to something. There must be something. Change your heart. You got a God-sized hole in your heart. Yep. You know, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I became a pretty hardcore and devout Christian that went to church at least twice a week. Youth group on Wednesday nights, which is basically a social gathering for teenagers that just finger-banged each other in the parking lot afterwards anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, teenagers still go to youth group over, over there, and it's like such a big social event, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them are fucking afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway... Uh, and then regular church at this tiny Methodist church my parents found in north of, they call it North Griffin. Yeah, it's North Griffin. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of where I was at that point. And I was pretty devout. You know, everybody knew I was Christian. I read the Bible like every day. And I listened to Christian music all the time. And there was Christian metal and punk and stuff that I was into. So, um, uh yeah, and I was that way up until college. And well, let me let me ask you something. Yeah. <clears throat> Just so I'm clear on this. Um Yeah. This school that you were going to and the people that you were hanging out with, did they actually uh uh practice speaking in tongues and uh laying on of hands and that sort of thing? Yeah, they did. No snake handling though, no but snake as far as handling. Okay. Yeah, not not quite that crazy, but yeah, the speaking in tongues thing, man, and then like the raising the hand during the worship and uh Right. and stuff like that. That was definitely there and laying hands, the laying of hands to heal somebody and and like you know, people literally thinking that they're talking to God all the time and Right. and like you know, there was some guy that came to a Wednesday night youth group that told the kids not to masturbate. Yeah. You know, shit like that. It was, it was insane. And that shit's probably still going on. It's, I, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. So now did you, you said that at one point you decided you're going to give God a chance, but did you have what people think of as the traditional conversion experience where you actually, you know, felt the presence of God and said that you were going to give your heart to Jesus and all that kind of thing? I definitely said the prayer. I don't think I walked up to the, you know, they ask you to come down to the yeah. steps or whatever. Like I didn't do that. I the think altar. I was too shy for that. The altar. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've been in a church. Um, but anyway, yeah. Come down to the altar. I, I don't think I did that. I was too shy, too shy or something, but definitely said the prayer. I'm pretty sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, and did the whole thing, you know, and it was, I bought into it. Okay. Pretty hardcore, pretty hardcore. Actually, it's funny because when I moved to, when I got to college, uh, my brother and I, we took this picture of each other and this was an actual picture too, not like on our phone now. And my brother drew in Sharpie a cross on me because I was super Christian and a pentagram on him because he was a heathen. Oh, okay. (laughs) So he never had the, he never bought into it. None of them did quite as much as I did. 
for right. sure. I think the pentagram thing, he was obviously joking around. I don't think... That's hilarious. Well, now they're, like, similar to me as far as, like, being atheist, but they're... They were never... Yeah, I don't think they were ever really quite as much as I was. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I had the the intense conversion experience, but it was when I was eight years old, so... So I was. That's so young. It's like it doesn't even count, you know. Yeah, but uh, But yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I I had that experience when I was eight, and uh, so through most of my childhood, I would say I had, you know, totally bought in, you know, very much into the whole thing, and it wasn't until I probably as I was in my teen years and started reading a little bit more, you know, that I started to kind of question uh, the the full orthodoxy of what was being taught. You know, it was a gradual process for me. It wasn't, I mean, I know a lot of people who say that one day they just almost like closing a book where they're like, nope, that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm out of here. I never really had that. I, I just sort of eased out the door over a period of eight or 10 years. I wouldn't call mine easing, but it was a long time. It was a long process, but it was a lot of like, oh man, we'll get into it. But it was it was just such a internal struggle for me for a long time. Um. Okay. Uh. So that's yeah, pretty religious throughout all of high school. That's just how it was. That's how everybody was, uh, especially in that area. Yeah. You meet somebody that's not religious, and it's weird. Um, so, uh, and then, so before, before I, uh, got into college, maybe around 10th, 11th grade, my dad, my dad has like meets a new friend. This is like a weird part of the story. My dad's friend is like, he says he's like a Jew for Jesus to my parents, which, okay, whatever. Uh, (laughs) and Jewish people are fairly rare in the South in the first place outside of Atlanta and in the city. They're pretty, pretty rare, you know? Uh, anyway, aside from that, he would also talk about, this was the first time I had ever heard, uh, things about like ancient aliens and the Gnostic gospels and David Icke and the Necronomicon. And he really believed all of this shit. It was like, (laughs) it kind of felt like every single belief in the world was real. Nothing was fake. It seemed like everybody was, every religion was onto something. So, and I actually started to buy into this too, a little bit at this time, because, I was getting old enough to not really accept this version, this, you know, really vanilla version of Christianity that I'd been taught in church my whole life. I wanted to, it was, I don't know, it was like um, covering the gaps in some way. I don't know how to put it, but it was like, I, the way that was timed with my dad meeting this guy and, and then hearing about all this stuff, it was just very, uh, I don't know, I bought it. I bought it mm-hmm. at the time. And this is when you were in college age or high so school late age? high school to college. Got it. Okay. So to throw into my questioning everything, now I got a question um, atheism versus like regular Christianity versus this crazy David Icke shit. You know, you know, David Icke, right? I've heard the name, but I'm not yeah, totally familiar with his work. Completely insane. Um, he was a. British uh, pro soccer player, but now he's like this crazy dude that really promotes ancient alien stuff. And, ah, uh, just a, just a fucking crazy dude. Uh, 
But as for like um, f- f- to be a fun read, it's kind of fun, you know. I'd say mm-hmm. as like an alternate history kind of thing. Just don't really believe it, like some of these people. Um, but yeah, as I got into college, I was still fairly Christian. I went to youth groups on campus. Uh, a little bit here and there the first year, but then I started to really fade out a little bit by my second year, I guess you could say. I guess you could say that's the timing. And then at this point, I sort of go into like a full crisis of faith mode. I remember screaming out of a car because it bothered me so much. And, my, and, and Maddie on the podcast, he saw me do this and he, and I brought it up before and he was like, yeah, man, I remember that. Wow. And he he's from Kentucky too, actually. He's from Somerset. Okay. And he I don't think it was quite as bad as me, but he he's atheist now too, and he had a similar type of experience, but I don't think he grew up quite as religious as I did. So and I remember I, I, I dated this girl at the time that was from the same area and we were she's from a s- town near me, but we also went to the same college and I, and she was we were dating while I was going through this and I remember she kind of just didn't get it and she wasn't like, she was a little religious, but not like snake handling religious, you know? And I remember her (laughs) saying she was, she said something to me one time that was kind of eye opening. She said that like, well, I just find religion through my life and just how, it kind of comes to me as I go kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. me trying to find religion, trying to piece it together through the book, through the Bible and try to piece it together kind of academically was something that was, was, uh, I think was foreign to her. Yeah. So, and, and, and even though that she was pretty much Christian and religious, she, she didn't see it like that. So that kind of thing, it was kind of eye-opening to me at the time. And um, so anyway, uh, after this point, I think I kind of put it on like the back burner in a sense. The, the crisis of faith, that what nothing was really solved at this time, but it was definitely like not as, um, I wasn't screaming out of cars anymore, you know? <laughs> well, that's good. So. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely like, I, I was just like, I don't know. I just chilled out with it. So I, I guess you could say it was sort of agnostic. Mm-hmm. Now, I, were, had no, I had no no official position at this were, time. Were Go you ahead. a regular churchgoer in college? Or I went, to, I went to youth groups a little bit here and there my first year of college. Okay. But I didn't go, I don't think I actually went to church. I think you could kind of see me moving away at this point already, maybe. But Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, for me, when I, uh, when I got to college, um, I, I think I went to one or two services at the invitation of, um, I think it was my cousin or somebody that also was going to the same, going to the, you know, same school. Um, and it was kind of an eye opener for me because the Southern Baptist Church that I went to, you know, it's fundamentalist and it's evangelical, but it's not Pentecostal. So, okay. so all this raising of hands and uh, saying "Amen" too loud was sort of <laughs> frowned upon, and there was certainly yeah. there was certainly no falling out in the aisles or speaking in tongues or any of that sort of thing. And uh, I've talked about this on uh, American Free Thought before, but I did go to a service. In, in Lexington, Kentucky, of um, 
it was a Baptist church, but I didn't realize until later that it was a primitive Baptist church. And they had speaking in tongues, and that was a real eye-opener for me. I'd, I'd never seen any of that before. And I just thought, well, this isn't for me. But honestly, I was too busy trying not to fail in college to go to church much. I mean, I just was too damn busy. But when I graduated from college and moved down to uh, uh, central Georgia, small town Georgia, down there, the first question people ask you after where are you from is where do you go to church? And so I started going to the local Southern Baptist church um, a little bit. And after a while, I kind of realized that it wasn't for me. I mean, I was already kind of, uh, as I said earlier, sort of easing out the door. But uh, I did go. I did used to go to the uh, college in early twenties youth group because you could go meet girls there. And as you know, yeah. we, we, we didn't do finger banging in the parking lot, but we <laughs> we we definitely. Uh, I would go down. I would go down there with a friend of mine, and our our litmus test or not litmus test, but our trigger for leaving the party was when somebody got a guitar out and started singing Kumbaya. Oh my Literally, God. that's what would happen. And then we would leave and usually take a couple of girls with us and go drinking and dancing. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, youth group is a good place to meet chicks, that's for sure. I mean, if you're religious too, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah well, and yeah. that's the funny thing. Too. I remember, you know, a couple of the the girls that I dated coming out of that experience, we, we would have some late night, you know, liquor fueled conversations about, you know, what's in the Bible and why, and you know, what, what can't be true and this and that and the other. And they would always just say, you think such weird thoughts, you know, they would just say, you say, you oh just think such and I would just remember thinking, well, it's not weird. I'm not telling you anything that I'm pulling out of my ass. I'm telling you, <laughs> What it says, it's a footnote in the Schofield Reference Bible that that says, you know, this verse does not appear in the earliest known manuscripts. And, of course, that verse is the part where Jesus rises from the dead, you know. So so in the earliest manuscripts, it says, and he died the end. Oh, wow. And then somebody later plugs in, but wait, there's more, you know. Right, right. So anyway, that was when... I started to kind of, you know, so so I was down there for four years down in middle Georgia, and I would say by the by the end of those four years, I was pretty much out. So that would be 25, 26. And okay. So when I moved to Atlanta, I was pretty much at that point completely secular. And that was probably pretty weird, especially at that time, huh? I feel like now it's getting more and more normal. Well, it is, and you know, you have to remember, um, I, my, gr- I grew up, you know, in the '60s and '70s, and so uh, in the '70s, um, you know, and we didn't have you know, the Simpsons and the cable TV and none of that. I mean, it was just <laughs> the three TV channels and and uh, public television, and and that was basically it. But uh, you know, when when I was a kid, that's when The Exorcist came out. And, oh, right, and right, that, right. And so there were a lot of preachers preaching about how demon possession was real, and and it scared the living shit out of us. And um, uh, and my dad says he left the theater, and then he he came back a little bit later, but he had to take a breather because the ex the exorcist was just so much. People were not ready for that back then. I mean, I I saw it. You know, I mean, I I wasn't a little kid. I mean, it came. I, it must have been. I must have been nine or ten, maybe, when that movie came out. But. 
there was a big scare in the 70s and it lasted into the 80s about uh, demon possession and 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 children being co-opted by satanic rituals and uh, um, uh, what was the other thing it was uh, oh Dungeons and Dragons came out and yeah. and of course that was just a way to learn how to weave spells which was a stepping stone to witchcraft and therefore to the damnation of your eternal soul so uh, you know that that's kind of what was going on back then and uh, uh, I mean. I'd never met anybody that was an atheist until I got to college. And that was the real, when I got to college and met people that, that were people that had been from Kentucky, you know, Indiana, Ohio, that sort of thing. people who had never gone to church, not a day in their life, raised yeah. completely secular, not, not, not people that would have described themselves as atheists or anything like that, but they were just, it was just a non issue for them. And that blew my mind. And of course I had, classmates that were from Muslim countries or from, uh, you know, Hindus and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and that was a big eye opener for, for me. So, uh, so yeah. And then when I got to Atlanta, you know, this would be 1989. No, moved to Atlanta in, ni- yeah, 1989. I moved to Atlanta. And uh, even back then, Atlanta was pretty churchy, you know, especially right. in the suburbs. But um, um, anyway, I'm taking up a lot of your airtime talking about no, my no, experience. No, it's good. But, it's but, good. But, it's but, good. It, but here's the way I discovered, the way I discovered um, organized um, atheism was um, I remember reading in the newspaper back when we had actual newspapers about, <laughs> about this, about this County judge in Alabama named Roy Moore, who um, back then he caused some controversy because he put a copy, a plaque of the Ten Commandments up in his courtroom. Yeah. And um, before the juries would go to deliberate on cases that he was presiding over, he would have a Baptist minister come in and give a prayer to help put the jurors in the right mindset. And this caused some controversy. And at one point there was a man he was, I think, a retired engineer or something, and he objected to this, and that was why it was in the news. So <clears throat> I was reading in the newspaper that this juror that was at the center of this controversy was going to be in Atlanta talking about his experience at something called the Atlanta Free Thought Society. And I had never heard of this. Knew no, I had no <laughs> idea what that was. I just thought, huh. Well, that might sound, that kind of sounds interesting. Uh, you know, uh, I may go down there and see what this guy has to say. So I go down to Midtown. They were meeting in some, um, you know, office building on a Sunday. And I walk in and the first person that I laid eyes on was one of my coworkers. <laughs> and, and I mean, it was like... I, I'm not, I'm not really exaggerating too much to say that at that time it would be like two gay people running into each other at the Stonewall Inn. You know, it was like, holy shit, he's, a, he's you a, too. You, yeah. And it was just like, Hey, you know, and after that, we, it was like, we were in our own little secret club of two, you know, nice, but, nice. Uh, but anyway, that's how I discovered the Atlanta free thought society. And then, you know, from there, I, I've kind of been involved in, um, organized, atheism ever since then i mean i've i was a 
on the board of the uh, Atlanta Free Thought Society for a little while and uh, officer in some other groups over the years. Right now, I'm, I mean, I have memberships in various things, but I just sort of kind of do my own thing now. But uh, but anyway, I think nowadays things are a little more cosmopolitan. But uh, but but even now, I do not talk about my extracurricular activities at the office. Really? Yeah, it's largely unnecessary for the most part. Yeah, I yeah. just well, you know, as we said in the other part that we recorded earlier, if as long as you stay away from politics, sex, and religion in polite yeah. company, you know. But I just don't talk about it. But the thing that's shocking, I shouldn't say shocking, it's the thing that's aggravating, that's the right word, is that my coworkers now think nothing of coming in and saying that uh, they're excited because they're getting ready for revival at church or <laughs> or they're, they want to sell cookies because their daughter's going to go on a missions trip to Guatemala uh, or, you know, that they're doing something with somebody at their church, you know, and it's all church, 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 which is fine. I mean, it's, if that's what they want to do, that's great. But if I just casually mentioned that I was going to go down to the Atlanta Free Thought Society this weekend to listen to a guy who wrote a book about the, the secular basis of the Constitution, I would, it would be a stir. So you think even so in your workplace? Yes. Oh yes. Oh wow. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Um so uh I mean one of my coworkers had a this is several years ago had a book on his desk that was uh it was a title was something like how to raise how to raise christian daughters or how to raise christian <laughs> must have been yeah I think that's what it was something like that. And uh it was just laying there on his desk and I just remembered thinking um what would happen if I laid, uh, you know, The Moral Animal by Robert Wright on my <laughs> desk or or Letter to a Christian Nation from Sam Harris or, you know, The God right. Delusioners. I mean, somebody would remark about it. It wouldn't be just a thing laying there like, oh, that's what he's reading. It would definitely be this a source of eyebrow raising, if not outright controversy. So, so yeah, I think even now... Um, it's much better than it than it used to be. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a time when t- to be a declared atheist was definitely controversial. Um, yeah. So I think we're on the cusp of uh, a point in our society where where you can be a a uh, a nun and it not not become a a deal breaker with with uh, you know your neighbors or your coworkers. I mean, being, I've seen like, like in Japan, there's like nothing yeah. as far as Christianity, religion, and then uh, so much in the South, but now in LA, it's like, uh, you hear it every now and again, but it's definitely like, you see the difference with the Bible Belt and the rest of the rest of America where it's like, uh, LA is just not religious at all, man. And I think that, I mean, I've told people before, even at work that I was atheist and people are like, all right. You know, like people, don't, <laughs> yeah. people really don't care at all. And another thing is I thought I was going to be 
saying a lot more like this crystal will hear, heal you and you know uh, you know new, new age bullshit stuff. yeah i thought that was going to be a much bigger deal and i'm a little bit disappointed <laughs> no but um it's really like not even that there's not a whole lot of that either in la people are just really not that religious in any sense i mean a little more than a little bit more than japan maybe but you know it's pretty secular town los angeles except for maybe Hispanic communities that are largely Catholic, but um, well, yeah, it's interesting in that way. I'd say. Well, do, you, do you think that the people, I mean, I, I hear this a lot watching some of the talk shows about um, uh, like the, uh, like Bill Maher makes fun of religious people on his show, or um, you'll hear some uh, political talking head, uh, you know, left-wing person sort of make dis- dismissive remarks about the, the hayseeds and, you know, the yokels and so forth. But I'm wondering if the people in Los Angeles really understand how um, how ingrained it is in vast parts of the country and how seriously people take it. And it's not just a result of people being uneducated. I mean, there are people with engineering degrees that think that, you know, Darwin was wrong. So, yeah, and, yeah. and it's very common in the South for that, you know. And I, so I just think the people on the coasts um, underestimate this stuff at their peril, you know, as evidenced by things like the current occupant of the White House. So Yeah, I think that they... they... <sighs> Well, if you're a Latino household in LA, definitely you you do know, but because uh, Catholicism is such a so ingrained in that culture. But yeah. as far as like if you're like regular white dude that didn't grow up around a church in LA, and you don't have many Latino friends, maybe uh, yeah, you have. I would say that they have no idea at all. They just think that you hear some crazy stuff on the news from time to time, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, there's definitely like people talk about there being two Americas and I don't like that term that much, but as far as that's concerned, yeah, I think it's a, it's a factor people need to uh, address more, but with a cool head, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I remember uh, back in 2016 when the election was happening, uh, my wife and I took a a ride up to, uh, actually we went up to visit David Driscoll, my old podcast co-host, uh, who lives in Northern Virginia. But when we were driving up there, um, we could see a direct correlation between Starbucks signs and Trump Pence signs. (laughs) I mean, it was uncanny that as soon as you entered a town, you saw a sign that said Starbucks, you know, right. Maybe a sign that said Hillary Clinton. But then as soon as you got out of that town and got out into the country in North Carolina and Virginia, it was one Trump Pence sign after another. And I remember we had a conversation about how, how worried should we be, you know? Yeah. Right. So, right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so did you, that's a whole other story. Yeah. No kidding. So, so you said you were, you were sort of slowly having your doubts about uh, religion. Did you, did you have a moment like a aha moment where you're like, I'm out. This is bullshit. Well, it's interesting because I was in Japan at this point. I became an atheist in Japan, and 
it was, I don't know if there was like an exact day, but it was probably, it was 2007 or 2008 when this happened. And it was the result of a long process. And I never, I never thought I would be atheist. I never saw it coming. It wasn't on the table. The only atheist I'd ever heard of in my life up until the four horsemen was Ted Turner. So (laughs) it just wasn't like a thing. It was just such a foreign term to me, you know, from where I'm from, you know, from where we're from. And so I don't think I had an aha moment. Um, but I, I think I was definitely was searching for labels for myself and, um, you know, Dawkins and, and Hitchens and, and you and some other people and Dillahunty. What's his name? That's his name, right? Dillahunty. Yeah, Matt from Dillahunty. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillahunty, definitely like major players in the deconversion. So it happens at some point, probably in 2007, I think, in Japan. And, um, you know, that's basically it. That's like from, and you know, at that time, I think I was a new atheist. And even when I met you for the podcast for, for, for your podcast, uh, 10, you know, was it nine years ago now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still at the stage where it was like really hardened. Like, and I, I don't think I'd really heard of the whole, like, you can't prove a negative and things like that. So I think I'm a little bit less hard now, but I think I'm, I really like the the agnostic atheist position where I believe there's no God, but I don't know there's no God. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that more that's the most honest position I think in my case. But that's most people that takes such a like a, an explanation, and most people don't have time for that. So right. So I mean, would you say that you're like that? Are you agnostic atheist technically, or what? <laughs> well. I guess that it's funny because um, uh, I remember Sam Harris back around 2007 gave a speech at the uh, Atheist Alliance International Convention, um, which was the convention where all four of the four horsemen spoke. So it was like uh, uh, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Ion Hirsi Ali... Uh, oh, well, there was a bunch of people that were all there and it hasn't repeated since then. But at any rate, Sam Harris gave a, a speech where he said he didn't think that we should call ourselves atheists because, number one, it's a negative identifier. Um, yeah. But but he he also just sort of advocated just be a person who's conversationally intolerant of bullshit. You know, in other words, <laughs> yeah. just just yeah. if somebody says something about, you know, we should do something for some religious reason, just don't let them off the hook. Just say, well, I don't think that's a ridiculous stance because you can't prove, you know, this or that or the other to make this true. And therefore, it's not a basis for any kind of public decision making, et cetera. But but anyway, to, to answer your question, it, it I have always maintained that atheist just means the one thing, the dictionary definition. It yeah, yeah, basically yeah. means not a believer in gods. Um, I know that in America, to be an atheist, if, if you had a Venn diagram, you know, of, of liberal socialist and atheist, uh, 
and humanist, you know, that that Venn diagram would pretty much be a circle, but not totally. Um, so, you know, you can be an atheist and be conservative. You know, you can be an atheist and not be a socialist or a liberal or even believe in democracy or human rights, you know. Um, right. So, um, so yes, I do consider myself an, an atheist, but, of course, I call my podcast American Free Thought, and uh, free thought simply means that you uh, base your, yet that you do not base your decision making on orthodoxy or on authority. So, right, just because somebody says something is so, you don't accept it. You know, you have you have to embrace logic and a scientific method and and that sort of thing to come to your conclusions. So. You can't really be a Christian and be a free thinker because you're relying on the authority of the Bible. At right. Even at some level, even if you're a liberal Christian, uh, you're you're saying that the Bible may be an incomplete revelation, but you're still saying that it has moral and philosophical weight. Um, so, as a free thinker, I essentially reject that completely because the basis of the Bible is not scientific the scientific method or reason or logic or anything else. It's just somebody wrote it down. People believe it. it, it it's just, it's a house of cards. So, right. so, uh, but as far as an agnostic, I mean, agnostic is um, somebody who admits that they don't know for sure on certain topic. I mean, I think, I think the word agnostic did originate in terms of knowledge um, you know, epistemological certainty or uncertainty with respect to God. Uh, that that word is now used for other things. You know, people say they're agnostic on vegetarianism or something like that. But, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, but I, I would say any reasonable person would have, would admit that they are uh, amenable to evidence. So yeah. if... If someone could present me with evidence to prove certain things, I would accept it. Um, yeah. So on the on that basis, I would say that I am definitely 100% hardcore atheist on every god or religious system that's ever been presented to me. <laughs> so yeah, for yeah. some for someone to try to convince me that the New Testament story as accepted by the vast majority of Protestant Christians, let's say, is true, would be an incredibly high bar. I mean, there's just so much evidence already stacked up in opposition to it that it's impossible for me to imagine a situation where that all of that evidence would be systematically dismantled. It's just, yeah. it's just not going to happen. Now, could God be some three-headed alien creature out there that hasn't revealed itself to us yet and come down and give us the real deal? Or, you know, are you going to die and realize that God was the the myth, you know, and that this three-headed thing is really the truth? I mean, it's possible. It seems very unlikely. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. you know, it's... it's um, I hear people say, well, what if, what if God came down and spoke to you? I'm like, how would I know? 
How would I know I wasn't hallucinating? How would I know that it wasn't some elaborate hoax? How would I know that it was, you know, even if this this creature could read my mind or present me with miracles or whatever, does that mean that it has moral authority? You know, not necessarily. Yeah, it's all on how you define God at that point. And, and yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Or, or, But in that scenario, then... then then yeah, I guess you would change your position. But the thing is that doesn't, a it hasn't happened, and more than likely it's not going to happen. You yeah. know, so, so it's yeah. it's just kind of a weird question I think to ask. Yeah. So I would say from a functional standpoint, if somebody asked me, you know, I would just say I'm an atheist. And if they say, are you an agnostic? I would just, from a functional standpoint, I'm not agnostic. I I just I don't see. I'm not sitting around waiting for somebody to bring me evidence. Um. So it's just, I mean, from a, from a philosophical standpoint, yes, I would technically be an, an agnostic because just like with science, we know that we don't know everything. So I'm not going to reject, yeah. I'm not going to reject new evidence of science that tells me new things about, you know, things that I've already set my mind to, you know, but yeah, for, for, for me changing from essentially hard atheism to agnostic atheism really was because I felt like I needed to add more reason to my atheism, you know? Right. And this, it's maybe an even bigger topic of what's the difference between belief and knowledge. You know, I believe there's no God, but I don't know there's no God. Like, I feel like I might need to do more research into this difference between belief and knowledge, but at least the way my I've been for for several years now, this agnostic atheist position really is um, the most accurate statement about my my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it also depends on. <clears throat> excuse me. I think it also depends on how you arrive at your atheism. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, it was more of a. Uh, I don't know if academic exercise would be the right term, but it was a result of reading about the Bible, (laughs) Uh, you know, my mother gave me a a reference Bible for Christmas or birthday, I forget. Um, And it was, you know, it had some critical notes in it about, uh, you know, for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you go to church, you think that those are the four guys that actually wrote those things and signed their names at the end. But, (laughs) right, right. But, Every historian, every theologian will tell you that those were just names that were assigned to them by tradition and that we really have no idea who wrote the, the Gospels. Uh, and Moses can't have written the first four books of the Old Testament, even though that's what they say, because right. at the end of um, Exodus, Moses dies and God buries him in an un, unnamed place. All right. Well, how the fuck did he write the book if he died? You know, it's just ridiculous. So there were little things like that that kind of got me on my on my path to, well, wait a minute. This doesn't make, you know, and then you start reading stuff like, you know, were there two angels at Jesus tomb or was there one angel? Uh, did the women go in the morning? Did they go in the evening? In one version, they're they're told to uh, go away and not tell anybody in another version, they're told to go tell people, you know? And so when you start deconstructing or comparing the four gospels, you realize that there isn't a unified story. 
And Even among the four, essentially, you would say the most the four most important books of the Bible. Right. And even they, they disagree with each other. Right. It's, it's just so frustrating, man. Yeah. So one of the things that really messed me up in that started me down the path where I am now is the council of Nicaea. I was just like, they, there's just this council of guys that put this together and they just, you know, books. yeah, it was just, Oh man, that was a big one for me. Anyway, keep yeah. going. Yeah, no, I mean, so I guess what I was getting at is that my form of atheism is of course, in opposition to Christian theism, because that's how I was raised. And that was the form of my theism. Um, But I didn't, I have met people that say that they're atheists, but they say they're an atheist because their beloved grandmother died horribly of cancer and they refuse to believe in a kind of God that would allow that to happen to her. And it's like, that's not really an evidence-based reason to not believe in God. Yeah. That's, that's not enough. That's an yeah. emotional reaction to something uh, that doesn't necessarily lead you to any other uh, good place. You know, you're not learning the skills of critical thought or, uh, you know, logic and uh, uh, argumentation and so forth. Like l- learning what is an ad hominem, you know. Uh, oh, man, that was uh, that was a big the, thing the, from Dillahunty. Yeah, the various logical fallacies. I mean, if you understand those tools, you can not only uh, uh, defend your your atheism as a legitimate viewpoint, you can also help yourself in all walks of life, politics, uh, philosophy, you know. It's like, should I go to a chiropractor? Well, read up on chiropractic and you'll learn that it's as much bullshit as the Bible, you know. Uh, <laughs> the anti-vaxxers, you know, that sort of thing. There's all sorts of stuff that a lot of bleed over between the, the skeptical community so-called, uh, and the, and the atheist community, uh, because of those, those tools, those logical tools. Right. This is a big one too. This is a slight tangent, but it's still sort of on target. This is a big thing that I've, you know, I've had these conversations online about when I say something that's, you know, from an atheist person or quote something along those lines, right? Questioning Christianity or whatever. And then you say you're an atheist, and then somebody that's Christian will say, "Well, oh, so you just think you're God or something like that." And it, yeah. it, it, it the, that always really like confused me. I got angry at first too, but it, then I was just straight up confused. And I think this, when somebody says this, it's really telling because it shows that they're not really concerned with the creation God, the creator of the universe aspect of God. They're, this kind of person is primarily concerned with the God that controls your life, the guidance part of God. Mm-hmm. Judgmental. Right? So, judgmental and just like, what do I do next in my life? You know what I mean? I think that's a big deal. Like, because when they say, oh, you just think you're God, they're referring to, oh, you just think you're in control of your destiny and, you know, something like that. And I could be reading this wrong, but this is kind of what I gather. It's like, for me, growing up, you know, they start off the Bible with Genesis, the creation. This is obviously the, a very important part if you believe in this stuff. And the creator part, the maybe it's my interest in sci-fi stuff too, but just like creation of the universe, this is what a God is. Right. You know, and, th- and the only reason, well, not the only reason, but, you know, I'd say a very big reason that he 
is the leader of your life is because you created the fucking universe. It, everything goes back to the creation aspect. But I think for a lot of people, and I didn't realize this until I was well out of college, was that a lot of people don't think like that. They're, this aspect, this creation aspect, isn't as important to them as the personal guidance part. Yeah. Well, there is a logical... Just, you know, I haven't engaged in active argument with religious people in in a while <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, I, I have heard frequently uh, a couple of things one is you know well if you don't believe in the bible then you don't believe in anything and it's like well that's not really true i mean i i can observe the universe and draw conclusions about how things are and i can observe from my behavior that if i act in an oafish manner People react in a certain way, and so if I want people to react in a better way, I can modify my behavior, and that's morality. That's, you know, ethical living. But um, I'm always amazed at how unable Christians are to, to see the disconnect between just because, I mean, let's just grant that there is a creator God. Okay. He made the universe. He made you and me. He made everything around us. That does not necessarily give him any moral authority. Right. right, I mean, he has the power of life and death. He has the power to destroy us or punish us or reward us, but there's no logical reason why that should be. And if I see God saying, go into this town and I don't want you to kill just the men. I want you to kill every man, woman, and child, every cow, goat, sheep, and horse, and destroy the town. Why? Because might yeah. might makes right. I mean, that's the that's the essential lesson, is that might makes right, which is is uh, not true. You know that the 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 good thing to do, the right thing to do, is not necessarily just because you're the strongest, and that's the message that Christians give us is that because God has the ability to uh, torture you for all eternity, then that's why you should pay attention to him. And they never think about the fact that, that the omnipotent God could have come up with a different scheme so that none of this would be necessary. You know, he could make right, a, he right, could make right, us right, in right, such right. a way that we already know what's right and wrong and we're already in unity with him and it's not a problem. But instead, we have this ridiculous, convoluted story. You know, and the other thing is, the second thing I hear is, um, well, if you don't believe in God, then anything goes. You know, that God's laws are eternal laws. And it's like, are they really, though? Because, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, God was the God of the Jews. He was not the God of the Egyptians. He was not the God of the Philistines. He was not the God of the Babylonians. He was the God of the Jews. And he had a deal with the Jews. And then Jesus comes along and he changes the deal. Well, right. how do we right. know he's not going to change the deal again? You know, God's laws are not quite as eternal as they, you know, make it out to be. So, yeah, those things kind of drive me crazy. But it's, again, uh, my wife has a hard time kind of being sympathetic toward people that were raised a certain way because she wasn't raised that way. So for, right. for her, it's like your reaction to what was in the Bible as being ridiculous. 
because you got to a certain age before you ever heard of this stuff. And right. same with her. Well, for me, that stuff, I, I suckled on that stuff. You know, that I grew up on that stuff. And so it never seemed ridiculous to me from the outset. It was only right. later. So I have some sympathy for people who, who were raised that way and never knew anything else. I'm not letting them off the right. hook for being ignorant, but I at least kind of understand where they're coming from. And I have a little bit of, a little bit of empathy for the, for the predicament that they've unwittingly gotten themselves into. Right. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I, when people that, especially people you meet here in Southern California, a lot of people, like we said before, they just don't get it. So it's, they don't understand the struggle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that, that, like what you said about the, the person like, well, well, anything goes, it's just like this testament to Christianity, just really taking the place of your natural moral base, you know, and, uh, that's, this is like a very big conversation. I think America needs to have about it as far as like more education is into, um, our psychology that was born from our evolution yeah, and I'm no expert on this whatsoever, but this was kind of helpful to me in my deconversion, as far as like hearing about your natural, uh, your morals come from a ba- your your evolutionary psychology and being part of a group and the team and the the group that you know work together w- would survive, and that's why these uh, that's why we deem these things good and. It's uh, about being a moral, it relates to being a moral person in a secular sense. Yeah. And this this kind of thing wasn't taught to me at all. I never heard of this stuff before at all until I was in Japan outside of college. So it, I, I wonder how many other people have just not heard of, you know, morals outside of religion. Well, that's the, <clears throat> the other thing that is always astounding to me in retrospect is when people will say, you know, again, it's an extension of the argument that something isn't moral unless it's an absolute moral given by God. Right. Right. right so right, what they're right, tell right. what they're telling me is that if it weren't for God and their acceptance of his code, that they would just go out and rape and pillage and burn and, you know, yeah. cheat and lie and steal. Um, and, and that's what they that's what they're telling me that they are. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've been an atheist for more than half of my life, and I have yet to rape and pillage and have no desire to do so, even though I believe that once I breathe my last breath, that's it. Uh, I'm not looking to any eternal reward, nor am I fearing any eternal punishment. Um, And it just, I think with a little conversation, you can convince people that, that there is a basic morality just based on... Uh, human biology and human psychology, you know? Um, uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and if you believe, if you believe this is your only go around on this planet and I'm pretty sure that means it's everybody else's only go around too. So that gives you some even more respect for, uh, your fellow man and woman. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, in my, in my case, I can't speak for everybody, but I do feel like 
and it might be just because I was getting older or whatever. I don't know, but it did, it did kind of feel like I got a more moral after my deconversion, I think. Right. Well, yeah, I don't know. I guess I hadn't thought about it for myself, <laughs> but I've, I've always been <laughs> okay. fairly boring in terms of, you know, I don't really have too many vices. I don't think there's right, anybody right. going to come out of the closet and say that I had done them wrong back in the day or anything like that. But uh, right, right, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, uh, and I do think the fact that we can't just say from a scientific standpoint, this exactly is what human morality is, gives, yeah. it does give some firepower to religious people to say, well, you know, how, what do you base your religion? You know, what do you base your, uh, your morals on, if not on the Bible. And then you have to get into a long, complicated conversation about how, you know, we're the result of a million evolutionary compromises and, and you <laughs> yeah. know, that, that sometime in our ancient primordial past, our pre-human ancestors realized that rape was a, uh, a strategy to get your genes into the next generation. You know, that you didn't think of it that way. All you knew is that you wanted to have sex with something. You know, yeah, and that, but now that has come into collision. That desire has come into collision with uh, our ape ancestors that grew up, uh, evolved to have uh, empathy and sympathy and to get in, you know, to understand what the other person might be thinking or feeling and, and understanding that to just punch them at random is probably not going to lead to a good result or to rape them is probably not going to lead to a good result because you're tuned to living in the group, you know, in the tribe. Right. And, and so right. those things all come into conflict. Um, so, you know, that's why morality and ethics and philosophy are so, so interesting is, you know, you can just think of a million different kind of dilemmas um, that even the Bible is not going to solve. So. Right. Yeah, you're 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 kind of force fed like your moral code from an early age, and that means it kind of, what kind of happens is you don't really think about it on your own. So you're not really objective to moral situations in a sense. It's well, and it leads it's one to, of the worst one of the worst things about religion. Really, yeah. I mean, it leads to bad results. You think about uh, who really has a more humane view toward LGBT rights. You know, is it is it the the liberal godless secularists who, you know, a hundred years ago maybe didn't have very sympathetic views toward homosexuality, for example. But now, a hundred years later, we see not just from scientific research that it's part of the natural spectrum of human sexuality, but we can also see that it does me no harm to allow my neighbor to have a boyfriend. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, like, it, it does. After thinking about this for so long, too, like it's always it's always part of our culture, right? It's like, especially at the point where I'm at now in my life, it's just like, why would you ever care about that ever? It's just so, right. it's mind-boggling to me at this point. It's like, if if some if some dude came up to me, I don't know how this would happen, but like, it would just be weird if, if they just said, I, I'm gay out of nowhere. It's just like so like it's so non-important in, in, in a certain sense. You know what I mean? Like it just shouldn't even be an issue at all. Right. Well, I think but it's just so it's just so weird to me right. at this point in my life. Well, and, you know, to think that I mean, a lot of people are driven by 
uh, you know, what you might call the ick factor, you know, just some people, yeah. some people have an active imagination and they just, as soon as somebody tells you they're gay, they conjure up, you know, the images of what the logistics of that would entail and how that would look and what it would involve. And, and they're disgusted by it because it's not attractive to them. You know, that's, that's a, that's the thing, right? I, I feel like I'd be like, okay, guess what? I actually think it's okay for you to think it's gross if you're straight, because that's, that's okay. You're straight. You think that's gross. That's not your thing. But to say that it's illegal. Right. Or even that's immoral. a whole other situation. Yeah. Like gay, gay dudes, I'm sure think straight acts are gross and that is fine. It's, you know, it's fine to think it's gross. Just you thinking it should be illegal because it's gross. That's the problem. Yeah. So, you know? yeah, and, you know, so, so you look at, um, I, I don't know, to me, to me, if you look at the the progressive movement in the West, you know, it's been a steady march toward increasing inclusion, not just toward people. And, you know, I mean, obviously it has led to increasing uh, uh, equality for men and women and for homosexuals and heterosexuals and trans people and you know even toward animals you know and yeah and yeah, so yeah. forth so but on the but you look on the other side the mike pences of the world you know they're stuck on the last verse of Rev- revelation you know right it's right, like right. He, his views never change no matter you know there used to be a joke about uh, i think it was stephen colbert made a joke about george w bush where he said that he's consistent. He believes the same thing on Wednesday that he believed on Monday, no matter what happened on Tuesday. So, you know, that does sort of sum up that, that mindset, you know, now having said that there are religious people that are progressive and liberal. It's just that right now in America, the group that's really driving the, the social and political conversation is the fundamental evangelical block. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I would like to see the day where the, you know, the Unitarians and, um, you know, the, the, the liberal uh, denominations start to drive the political conversation in the other direction, because I have absolutely no problem in working with somebody that's religious to defeat homelessness or, or, cure cancer or whatever, if they're motivated to do it because they think God loves them and wants them to love others, that's fine. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, it's, we're, we're a little ways away from that, from, from that being the real driver in our, our country from a political standpoint. Right. Oh man. See, this is like some American free thought shit here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Oh, but uh, I guess I did want to find out, um, have you, what's been the reaction of your family members to your identifying as an atheist? Do they just not care or does it bother them? Yeah, that's great. You asked this because this actually was the last point of my thing. It's, um, I sent them like, I was in Japan, so I didn't give a call or anything. So I sent him an email about my thoughts and where I was and basically that I had deconverted uh-huh. and, uh, they were upset at first, very upset. My brother said that, 
you know, my mom called asking about it to him, and he said that, like, she just seemed genuinely upset. So, and uh, it's weird. Like, my dad really wasn't all that religious growing up, man. But he became much more religious while I lived in Japan. I don't think it really had all that much to do with me. And it wasn't like some reaction to my deconversion, I don't think. But, like, it's just what happened. And then it... Uh, so now, like, both my parents really wish that I would convert back, but I don't see that happening, and my dad does, like, try to convert me back all the time. My mom, more or less, doesn't really say or do much, but, um, you know, I know what they really want. But uh, Yeah. And what's what's funny is that, like, my brother's, all kind of like more or less kind of fall under where I fall. And I never really had a direct conversation with them about it. So it seems like they went through their own thing and maybe they read some of my Facebook threads back in the day when I was really hardcore and, and um, <laughs> arguing with people. But at least if you read that thread, you could see my thought thought process so may, maybe they read that. I think maybe they read a couple of those and that influenced them maybe, but I, we never had any direct conversations about it. Anyway, we're all sort of in a some, some similar thing. So we have like really devout parents and then four of their kids that <laughs> don't believe at all anymore. So yeah. I, maybe they don't, they don't like that. But uh, what can you do, man? You know, that's just how yeah. it is. It's interesting is, you know, it's funny. I never had a conversation with my family about. Oh, really? Nope. I never. I, well, first of all, it always amuses me when people want to like have a big declaration to the family that this is where I stand. You know, I, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I realize for some people it's necessary because if the family is like super duper fundamentalist and you just can't get away from it. But, you know, my parents, we went to church and all that stuff, but my, we never had, like, said grace before meals. Uh, my father never, like, wanted to gather the family around and read from the Bible. You know, all of our religious education was just at church. And then... Yeah, you're at, pretty pretty lukewarm about it. Yeah, and at home, you know, it was like, you know, we believe in God, and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and, and the fact that I lived in another state, you know probably made it easier for me to develop new habits without it becoming like a, a thing that somebody noticed. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and as I've told my wife, I sort of jokingly say that in, in our family that we value politeness over honesty. So we just, <laughs> yeah, we just don't talk about certain things. Uh, that's but, some Southern shit right there. Exactly. Man. So it's, I mean, <laughs> I've had conversations with, you know, a, a brother and cousins, I would say that are more Frank uh, mm -hmm. then, then, I mean, I never, never, ever had a single conversation with my father or mother or even my grandparents that I can remember about, you know, I don't believe in this stuff anymore and I'm not going to church and I don't remember. Now, if anybody asked me, I would say complete, you know, I mean, right, and the thing right, is I've right. been doing this podcasting thing for all these years. I have never heard my mother utter the words American free thought, not once. Uh, I don't even, I, as far as I know, she knows that I do it, but it has never been a point of conversation. Um, uh, of course now on Facebook, since, you know, Facebook is now the d domain of old people. 
So I have. Oh man, so weird, right? Because yeah. it came out, and when I was in my mid twenties, and it was like this cool thing, and like yeah. now I feel like Facebook is so lame, even though I use it every day. Yeah. So I have like uh, aunts, my you know, aunt, my mother's not on there, but aunts and uncles and cousins that are all on there, and I just post my American free thought shit, and <laughs> you know, my I think I have an uncle who's a Methodist minister, and uh, but 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 he's from the more I think more the conservative wing. Um, yeah. And I think it does kind of, it, I think it discombobulated him a little bit when I, uh, started doing humanist weddings. Uh, oh, man. that sort of thing. Cause I married my, my niece. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And he had a little conversation. So I hear you're in the marrying business now kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, yeah. So it's just never been, it's never been an issue. I mean, when we get together, we talk about other things. So it's just never, it's never really come up. Yeah, they bring it up pretty often, especially my dad, but I don't know. It's more or less like kind of, uh, we're at cruising altitude now. No, not much turbulence, I guess, but that's yeah. just, it's just how it is, man. You know, the old agreeing dad- to disagree thing. Kind of, kind of, except they keep disagreeing. Yes. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know, dude. It's, it's, I don't even know where it's going to go from here, but I think it's, it's fine. I mean, we're all, we're all friends. We don't have any kind of like really crazy fallouts. We're all still a family. Right. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing crazy like that. I was look. I was lucky in that regard, I think. So it's all good. All right. Very cool. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on again, everybody. This is the guest here is John Snyder from the American Free Thought Podcast, and that's pretty much everywhere you can find your podcast, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you just search for American Free Thought, Free Thought being a single word, you'll find it, I think, right away. But it, uh, AmericanFreeThought.com is the the blog URL and. Uh, homepage for the podcast is AmericanFreeThought.LIBSYN.com. But uh, yeah, you can, you can find it on iTunes and pretty much all the main places where you can find podcasts. So uh, yeah, check it out. Nice. And uh, I think that's going to do it. Check us out on patreon.com slash superhouse podcast. It's P A T R E O N.com slash superhouse podcast. Superhouse is on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. Uh, we do have a Snapchat, but we don't really use it that much. <laughs> and um, not quite that young anymore. Not we're, not we're not spring chickens anymore. And um, anyway, oh yeah, and the first part to this uh, episode of Superhouse is actually a American free thought episode. And, uh, this is, uh, this super episode was a sequel to that. And on that episode, I am guesting on there. And, uh, we are talking about, uh, religions in Japan, uh, namely Shintoism, but also some Buddhism and some other, uh, things about Japanese history. And, um, from what I gather, what the Japanese take is on certain American things even though i'm not any expert whatsoever nor am i <laughs> japanese but right uh but yeah this is basically it this is andrew signing off
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 